Welcome to Gun Owners America's State of the Second Podcast. We are here with Rachel from Night Vision. Rachel, how are you today? I am good. I'm good, guys. I am not in an office. There's no complaints there. <laughs> I'm in a beautiful hotel hanging out with people who uh, like love this entire industry, love guns. Like, can't, I, I really can't complain. <laughs> How about you guys? How are you doing? We're good. I <laughs> uh, got some caffeine, so we're ready for this. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. So, Rachel, uh, tell us a little bit about Night Vision, what you guys do, a little bit of history, all that sure. fun stuff. Sure. I mean, I think one thing I'll just address at the top is like whenever we let everybody know who we are, um, people hear Night Vision with a V. And they're like, oh, cool nods. And I'm like, actually, not the same thing, a little <laughs> different. Um, so, you know, we're excited to be on this podcast so that we can, you know, let the world know what we do. So at Night Vision, um, we're well known for um, producing some of the best sites on the market. And I would argue the best sites on the market. Um, and uh, it is uh, incredible to see the amount of engineering that's been put in to um, what can sometimes be an afterthought, right? People think, oh, well, the bumpy things that came on the gun are sufficient. That's what, you know, they sent it out with, so they must be perfect. And it's, it's just not the truth. So um, being able to tailor uh, what your sight picture looks like to reflect what your eyes best respond to. I mean, this is the thing that allows you um, to make the hits. I mean, there are a lot of things involved in in a good, uh, a solid shot, but uh, quality sites are a big, a big leg up in that equation. Um, so uh, we have a couple of other companies that we have um, Tritium involved in, and that's the common theme throughout. Um, some people think that we're new in this game, and I would say that if you really do look at uh, where we come from, which is uh, with Kamenga, which is an older company, it's uh, been around for a little over 30 years, um, we produce the, the, the compass for the U.S. military. So if you've been through a land nav course in the past 30 years, you've done it with our tritium and our compass. So uh, we took all that knowledge of insertion and selecting the finest available tritium and we put it into the site company. So, so Night Fishing has been around for a little over, I want to say, like seven years now. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, we pack all kinds of engineering into these sites. We offer um, standard height, which is just, you know, the basic iron sight package that you would want if you were just looking for iron sights on guns. Um, but another thing we're well known for and one of our flagship products is our optics ready. So listen, guys, it's now 2024 and um, there are plenty of optics on guns and I am a big optics person. People who know me personally, um, people who work with me know I've got optics on everything. But um, having a backup pair of sights is absolutely mandatory, uh, especially if it's on a carry gun. So we're talking about dealing with all kinds of uh, situations where you're really not in control. We're responding to things, right? So we call things like defensive pistol defensive for that reason. It's not offensive pistol. The offensive part is your brain, right? <laughs> so um, when we're dealing with all kinds of all kinds of chaos and things that we can't control, we want to basically hammer down on all of those variables and see what we can deal with. And um, with a uh, with the optics ready backup sites being present, that just allows you to um, have a have a chance were there something to go wrong with the optic, right? There are electronics, things can happen. So uh, we have various different heights with those as well, um, and that was uh, another big thing that we wanted to bring to the marketplace, where you're no longer just stuck with suppressor height sites. In this industry, we are a, a people of 
we'll make it work, right? So we, we don't tend to go, oh, that's an obstacle. I guess I won't do this anymore. We overcome those things. It's just, it's a sea of people who believe in, well, if, uh, if I need to go here, I will find a way to do it. And in the past, the tallest sites available were suppressor height sites. So to get that co-witness, to get something in that window, should the optic go down, that was your only choice. And so we just kind of said, my God, it's, you know, we have the technology. <laughs> Why don't we give you guys some options? Um, so that's uh, another thing that we brought to the market a couple of years ago. And we're very proud of those. And they do incredibly well. People really enjoy and love those and are very happy to be able to also customize something on the gun to help them be better. Right. So um, this year we have a couple new products and. Uh, we've been showing them off at the show, and they're so new that I can't even tell you when in the year they're going to be out. I know they're going to be out this year. We're hoping to have them out in the first half of the year. But, um, you know, for our M17 and M18 six-hour guns, uh, those guns don't have rear dovetails, right? So then you're back to this, like, well, I guess I'll I'll get this plate that has, like, a cutout shaped like a sight. You know, it's, again, it's someone trying to overcome that obstacle. Well, again, we got the uh, the technology. We, uh, we release the optics mounted sights, um, and those actually screw right down on top of your battery deck. So, again, we're just looking to make sure that we solve problems that we know exist and, and contribute to this community in a positive way and not just kind of say here, you know, we hope you like it. Maybe, maybe you'll give us our money. It's absolutely not the way we want to do it. We look hard at the problems that are needing to be solved and we try and spend our energies on that. So, so everybody can be better. So you guys were with Tritium. Correct. A lot of people don't know the regulations behind Tritium Yeah, because I mean, you, you don't have the regulatory issues like a firearms company would, but no. you have different regulatory yeah. issues. Yeah, we do. So um, tritium is regulated in this country. So it is something that the NRC handles. Um, so uh, when you have something like a regulating body, um, like the Nuclear Regulating Committee, they they basically need to approve everything. So there's this element of um, going and, you know, talking to Uncle Sam and saying, hey, uh, are we uh, all good? Have we met all the conditions associated with uh, selling something that has tritium into the public. And, um, you know, before I want to answer this, before you even ask the question, 100% tritium is safe. It's not why it's regulated. <laughs> it's not because if, you know, you crack a vial, you're going to be glowing the next night. You know, um, you shouldn't necessarily figure out what your new condo is going to be in Chernobyl. Uh, the reality is you're going to get you're going to get a lot more radiation from your phone, from flying and that sort of stuff. And it is beta wave radiation, um, but they still regulate it. So. When we come up with new products and it's outside of what's considered a safety application, we do actually have to go and have, essentially have a conversation. And I'm going to spare you all the, the nerdy details, despite the fact that we are all a bunch of nerds. That's the reality of it. Like We can all rattle off twist rates and all kinds of thread <laughs> pitches and all of the things um, that you know make us happy in this world. But uh, the reality is we, we essentially go to them and we say, hey, this is what we got for a new product. You guys good with it, uh, the way that it's going to be existing in the world. And so sometimes that takes time. Um, but the, the night side application has been long accepted. So um, that makes that process a little bit simpler. It's when we do innovative things. And so that slows stuff down. We did a really funny April 1st 
post on one of our company's website, and it featured a TV remote with one of our Exile, uh, excuse me, our XL vials inserted into it. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is the best thing <laughs> we have ever heard of. And I was like, it does make a lot of sense, but it's something that isn't that simple. So we still have to go to back to Uncle Sam and kind of talk it out. And if they feel strongly about it not being a thing that, you know, should be sold that way, then it doesn't happen. So that is an element of that uh, process with us. It makes things a little bit more complex, but it does mean that when you see something out in the ether, it means we have fought for it to be there and we believe in it enough that it is uh, a real solution for you to consider. Yeah, I mean, you guys are not only doing night sights. You've got Glow Rhino mm -hmm. who doing uh, tritium on knife scales. Correct. Um, also, glass breaker tools and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah, and you know, those are the fobs. The glow fobs are extremely popular, and uh, you know, on its face, they have incredible application for everyday use. Hence, the EDC uh, world that uh, that that company exists in, where you know you're attaching it to keys and you're attaching it to things that you don't want to lose. Um, and you know, people kind of write it off initially. They're like, I mean, yeah, I find my keys. It's cool. Uh, and then you lose power and then you start doing the, the, like the slapping around on the body. If you think you might've had them in a pocket and now they've been moved around into a different jacket or you start, you know, fumbling around in the dark and, um, it's wild. You know, those people that have our fobs when they have the moment of just, Oh my God, I don't need to panic. They're right there. I mean, I can see that from, you know, 25 yards away. I can see my keys. So people with land um, that have like outbuilding or ATV keys, all that sort of stuff. We get the wildest stories that um, get sent in and they're like, I, I get it. It's such a simple product, but you know, if I was out um, taking coyotes off my land and I drop my keys and then I go back to my ATV and I'm like, oh, man, you know, in the snow, all of this stuff, weather, all that outdoor terrain. And they're like, if I if I didn't have that fob on there, uh, I don't know if we would have been able to get back in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Like stuff like that happens on a regular basis. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, my fob, uh, I'm a little embarrassed by this, but my fob is hanging on the pull string of my fan in mm -hmm. the house so I can see it in yeah. the dark. Yeah. Hey. Turn the lights back on. Hey, we don't regulate how you use <laughs> yeah. it, right? So, uh, and, you know, on a serious side, what, what um, we do uh, find a lot of people using stuff for, especially like the, color, the five color sparks is for med kits and things that people need access to, fast access to without getting the white light out. So when you're needing to get into to a pack and you need something quickly, try to fumble around for, uh, uh, you know, the zipper pull edge is just like not going to be any fun, especially if you've got a stack of zippers near each other. All those paracord knots get together and you start trying to grab for stuff. And if you're under pressure, like trying to save somebody's life, having something that clearly indicates, all right, this is the airway section and this is the blood section, just it, it, anything you can do, right, to, yeah. to try to minimize that impact in time. So they they end up going into the to the packs and um, on the cases uh, of people who are using them in that manner, and and that's another just incredible use for all of that stuff that we just we're so honored that we can be a part of. So being a, a company that makes night sights, uh, iron sights, or are, are 
used both for day and night use, but most of the time you're shooting in the daylight. Sure. So you have these colored front sights. Sure. Why did you choose the colors you chose? What makes you go into that? I mean, there's a whole science behind that as well. There is. So, I mean, you know, if you're if you're feeling froggy, you can head <laughs> to the to interwebs and you can learn about how our eyes see. Um, but one of the things that we tend to uh, across the board as humans see better is uh, things that are as far away from the 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 red the cool red spectrum. Um, it's one of the reasons why you don't see signage in blue, right? So every once in a while, people will do it. They'll get it up. They'll spend the money. It's especially common because blue is a very prevalent color in like the finance sector, right? And then they'll want to put that as a glowing sign on the side of the building. And if you've ever really driven past it and as you get a little bit older, that stuff is harder for you to see the crisp edges on. It's because blue is actually a difficult color for us to see. So um, when we start to get into that kind of like cool red sort of range on the, the color wheel, uh, we, we, we have to use a lot more energy to see that stuff. So anything that's on the opposite side, which would be like hot reds, oranges, yellows, anything along those lines, we have a much easier time seeing. So that's one of the universal reasons why you see that color across the board in sites. Um, we do actually have a blue ring because you know, hey, sometimes it's just interesting to see what people will do with it out there. Um, but it only exists on one product line because we just we continue to see the performance standard of like yellow and orange um, just be like outstanding. So we stay primarily with that across the board on everything. And I would say the colors that we chose um, and the reasons behind them um, I was having a conversation with someone once and they were like, hey, well, um, you know, that that yellow looks a lot like the splash on a um, on the type of target. I, I don't you know, I can't remember the name off like a, you know, when you're you're the the. Oh my God, the my brain fart. Thank you. Yes, there we go. Thank you. The shoot and see targets. It is the end of the day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but the shoot and see targets, right? They're like a high vis color. When you shoot them, they're either like that orange or that bright, bright, like chartreuse yellow, very similar to front sight colors. And I had somebody go up to me and they said, you know what? I, I really, I, I don't like those front sight colors. They blend in with my target. And I said, you know, you're hundred percent right. They do blend in with your target, but I don't see people wearing those colors. And if that's a def if that's a defensive gun, that's why the site has to show up to what you were saying before, especially if they're iron sight systems, it's your primary sighting system. So if you're talking about a competition gun, totally get it. Uh, you know, if you're going to constantly be working against a particular like craft brown color, like you're an IDPA, USPSA, you know, you want to try and pick a color that shows up against your primary targetry. Um, but if it's a carry gun, which is primarily what we make sights for, uh, the reality is you do want to make sure that it's a color that shows up on clothing uh, so that you can, again, make those accurate hits. Your job is to stop the threat and to hurt no one else. So that's a big reasoning why you see the colors that you do on front sites. And our, ours isn't paint. It's the entire vial that's being housed in a polymer uh, sleeve that's that color. So, you know, should something you know, nick that surface, you're going to see that color right behind it. Now, 
you guys offer a ton of different rear sights. Sure. You know, we're, we're seeing this kind of change of philosophy for years. It was always either a three dot or the Glock U, if mm-hmm. you want to call it that way. Mm-hmm. Placeholders. Yeah. Placeholders. <laughs> exactly. So why are we seeing the shift to blacked out rear and blacked out with a tritium vial underneath and all that stuff? Sure. I mean, so before I had an optic on my gun, um, back in the dark ages, uh, I shot a tritium front and a U-notch rear battle sight from um, Vickers battle sights because that's that was like the hot stuff. That was the business <laughs> back then. And I was like, all right. And it was a super thin front sight. And it had a lot to do with the way that my brain processed visual information. And if I complete, if I had a very thick front sight uh, and I had a very narrow notch at the rear, whether it was U or square, it left me with very little additional background visual information on what was target side. Even though, yes, we're iron sights, we're looking at our front sight, that's the plane that I'm focusing on. I cannot look at my target with that sighting system. But the reality is I wanted to still get some visual data. Right? I still want to be able to get like some idea where their hands were because these are the things that hold the bad stuff. And so um, when we're talking about things like uh, the blacked out rear, why is it present? I wanted to minimize the amount of visual data I was having to process to be able to make decisions. So that's the way my brain works. And everybody's brains work slightly differently, but you can bucket people. And if you have the type of brain that starts to take all the information in and then gets into a closed loop of analyzing and you're just getting overwhelmed and you're like, I don't know if that's a line, maybe I should check this and I'm going to do that. Taking those two rear dots out of play or taking the you out of the out of play can sometimes help minimize the amount of visual information that's coming in. So then if you have a simpler site, you have a simpler amount of information coming in, you have conceivably a shorter processing time and so that you can settle in and make your hit sooner, right? So you're not in your head as much. So it's essentially giving you a little less information, but uh, sometimes if all the info overwhelms you, that's a path to making a better hit sooner and not getting too kind of tightly focused on perfection because you're just never going to get it. You know, that's not how it works. We're not robots. We move. Um, but that's an element of that. Uh, with the optics ready, um, which is the one that we have so many different rear height uh, options in, especially in like the Glock portfolio, you know, it's it's it still kind of falls into that same category because um, if you have a dot and then you have a tritium lamp, um, sometimes people get overwhelmed by the rear tritium lamps coming into play, right? They should sit nice and low uh, if you follow that process of, hey, I, I don't need as much uh, information in my sight picture. They should sit nice and low, and you should be able to do that with us because we show you pictures. We've got our co-witness selector, so we allow you to figure out what the best height is based off of the sight picture that you want. If you want them way down on the bottom, which we call like a a lower one-fifth and where the lamps are being kind of uh, covered up by the battery deck— they're just the ears poking over over into your optic window. Some people just want that. They want as little possible to be able to process um, their sight. Uh, 
But back in the day with those suppressor hindsights, man, it was just, you blocked half the window. It was too much information. And people were just looking for ways to make it simple. So one of the things that I always find um, interesting is the roadmap people take when it they become a new gun owner um, and how we choose when and how to upgrade different components and get more comfortable with that idea of upgrading. Sure. Obviously, you make a product that is mission critical when using a firearm. How do you recommend or what would be your steps to success for all of the new gun owners that are joining the 2A community? Well, I would say, number one, um, you know, if you bought a gun that has night sights on it already, uh, good on you, right? Excellent. If the purpose of the gun is to be a gun in which you are going to be carrying um, good on you. It's a great decision. If you have, if you were afforded that opportunity within the model portfolio or the, the gun that you liked, we don't always have that choice, which is one of the reasons why our company exists. Um, many guns are sold with sites that are very neutral and they're done that way on purpose. As much as I kind of rib Glock, the reality mm -hmm. is that they are plastic gives the new owner the option to select the sites that work best for them. Um, so uh, they do offer some models out there. Um, I believe some kind of special models that are often here offered here and there that have night sites. But if you do purchase a gun that has white dot sights, which means it's white paint that's being applied to a uh, hopefully metal body, um, or you have blacked out sights like front and rear, uh, the first step to uh, making a decision on what you want to switch them out to is to honestly ensure that you can, because there have been a couple models that have been released where the uh, sights are actually part of the barrel. We can't do anything for you on that. Um, there are a couple of guns that were released with like the SAS sight condition, which that has a dovetail that has been cut for that sight. You're kind of stuck with that unless you switch the slide out. Um, so you first want to assess whether or not your gun has been designed to accept aftermarket sights. Um, once you have done so, um, you, you do want to ideally get some sights that are set up with tritium lamps in the front and the rear. As a newer shooter, you want to be afforded everything that you can possibly be afforded. The blacked out rear uh, conversation that you and I were having, John, here just a minute ago, um, comes from making decisions after you've had some time and ex experience with your gun. Um, the initial start point is uh, where you don't necessarily want to learn how to drive on the supercar. You want to <laughs> learn how to drive on the Corolla, mm -hmm. right? So, And then you start to make decisions like, oh, you know, I like this kind of steering or I like these kinds of tires or I like this kind of vehicle. But we learn that after we've begun to drive. So I would recommend that you get tritium sites in the front and the rear to be afforded everything that you can possibly be afforded. Um, the color is very personal. Uh, sometimes if you do have some friends that have guns, I would recommend that you shoot their guns and try out their sights. If you go to a range that offers you rentals, 
go try those guns out. See what the front sight colors look like. Purposely select different colors and purposely select a variety of, tar of targetry. If you can find different targets, don't just shoot white paper, right? So try and find targets that have a variety of different colors. And you do, if you can, and you have the time and you have the facility and the access, you do benefit from doing that work ahead of time. Um, if you don't, uh, the simplest recommendation um, to getting a pair of sights, most people respond to yellow. Um, our yellow, which is kind of a chartreuse, which leans a little green, kind of walks both roads uh, between yellow and green. Um, that is the most popular color. So if you want to just start with, hey, well, what is everybody else getting? Um, the yellow front ring um, and uh, the tritium lamps in the front and the rear is absolutely our most popular colorway um, across the board and in, in both our optics ready platform and in our standard height sites. Um, and then I would say also too, if you hate them, if you don't like the color, right. Or you want that blacked out rear, you can remove sights guys. Um, <laughs> don't do it in your bathroom. Don't do it in your garage. <laughs> Take it to somebody who knows what they're doing. Cause you can really damage all kinds of things on your slide. So if you're new to that, your, your shop will have a person that will help you out with that. The armorer there can do that on most guns. Uh, it doesn't need to be a fully accredited gunsmith to be able to do it. But somebody with the right tools and experience will generally be enough. And this is one of those times where, you know, I think a lot of people feel like they can't ask dumb questions and they're like, well, you know, this is oh, the worst. You know, this comes that. standard, yeah. like everything is yep. good. Like when you are purchasing something, especially when you are purchasing it for um, a defensive situation. This is the time for you to ask all of mm -hmm. the questions that you want to ask. Yeah. Um, and if you're not comfortable asking the questions, you might want to try a different location yes. in a different mm -hmm. place. Yeah. Um, because you're, you're assigning whether we want to put it in this category or not, you're assigning yourself a certain amount of value by investing in your own protection. Sure. And so um, I want to just for anyone listening that is maybe on the fence or someone in your life is going and purchasing their first gun, let them know. Write down questions. Yeah. You know, don't, don't be, in, it's don't okay. be intimidated. <laughs> like, like it's, it's important yeah. to get that information before. Yes. Um, yeah. Because especially depending upon the price point that mm -hmm. you have for your first gun, probably weren't like me and bought it on the clearance rack. If so, that's fine too. Like <laughs> I was broke. It's, we're all good. Yeah. But you know, you need, you need to be comfortable and confident in yes. that decision. Yeah. And I think like the point that you brought up about the shop, right. Or the place that you're going to purchase the gun and being comfortable asking questions. Um, I, I, I also try and emphasize that with everyone that I meet that's brand new. I mean, hammer it into their brains. There is absolutely no world where you are parting with hundreds of dollars that you should feel 
afraid, uncomfortable, that you're going to be embarrassed, that you're going to be like raked over the coals, that you're going to be laughed at. There is nowhere else in this world that you would be parting with that much money and accept that behavior. You should never expect expect or accept that behavior from a shop that you are going to purchase a firearm from. They really need, you need to develop a relationship with a shop. They need to be a resource for you. If you're a new shooter, you do want to be able to go back and ask those questions because um, your your access to all of the world's knowledge doesn't mean that all of the world's media is the best. And so um, I will try, I, I use a, a particular term when I'm working with my, my brand new students and I tell them, you don't have a BS detector. Uh, I hope the... the <laughs> <laughs> the acronym will be okay and not get, not get you guys into trouble. But I tell you, listen, if you don't have a BS detector, you will not be able to tell what is BS, right? So um, it's not always that you can autonomously, autonomously go and Google stuff and find stuff on YouTube and, and say, all right, good, I'm good to go, right? So that's not always going to yield the best info. So developing a relationship with a shop is vital, um, and, and also not feeling like an island. I live in a state where, you know, guns are, are this big, scary thing and there's a lot of bias around it. And, you know, I know plenty of people who are really heavy into their to their training aspects. They're very serious about it. But if they said a word about it at work, they would be let go immediately. So, you know, if you're feeling alone on this stuff, it's important to develop that relationship with the shop without question. Yeah. And, you know. A lot of people don't know that that is okay. Mm-hmm. They yeah. they they feel like they're almost like the the problem child mm-hmm. going back and asking. Everybody knows yeah. everything but me. <laughs> oh man, and they're gonna be so pissed with me. Yeah, yeah. and it's and the truth, the truth is that everyone starts as a novice at yeah. some point. Yeah, and we're I, as a community, we're more excited when someone comes back sure and and wants a little bit more knowledge and wants a little bit more knowledge and and grows. yeah, than we would be if you purchased that firearm one time mm-hmm. and we never saw you again. yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's a little dubious like that because again, the reality is like anything else, if you do something once, and then you expect to do it again 365 days later, just as good as you did it that one time. It just ain't going to work. So, you know, whether it's knowledge, whether it's skill set, um, constant contact with this makes you better. Um, and and if you're feeling uncomfortable and compelled to, like, just not ask and not participate and not not get involved, uh, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't make it any better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it just it just doesn't make it any better. So developing those re- relationships are critical without question. Well, I'm going to switch a little bit. So as a night site company, either you guys have products on new models because mm-hmm. the company comes to you. Sure. Or you're developing products for there. Yes. There's a ton that we are here. There's something like 75 new guns from mm-hmm. major manufacturers that just came out. Yeah. Plus thousand more from other manufacturers. Yes. When do you go, yeah, it's time to make a pair for this <laughs> gun. Uh well, I mean, I think one of the things that we're we're sort of well known for is is listening to our customers. Right? Oh, is this what you need? Okay, we got you. And so um one of the biggest determining factors is everybody's voice. Right. If we get a large volume of people asking for something, we will do it. 
Um, you know, so it, it's if we're just getting hammered for a particular product and manufacturer, we will do everything that we can possibly do. Now, that alone saying, hey, everybody wants sights for this particular gun, um, unfortunately doesn't bring it to fruition because uh, <laughs> we do have to do like we have to do our due diligence and get all those dimensions and get those um, those elements that will allow us to develop those sites. And part of that is, you know, going to the individual manufacturer and ensuring that we get correct information. Um, so there's a little bit of a, you know, a telephone game sometimes that happens. So unfortunately, we're not under complete control of being able to get that stuff out ASAP because we do have to uh, work with. Um, that particular manufacturer, but that's how we do it. We listen to you guys, right? That's the big deal. Um, if you guys need sites for a particular gun and we're just getting hammered in social media, we're getting hammered in customer service. Everybody's emailing uh, info at, Hey, where are the sites for this gun? Um, we will absolutely add it to, um, to the product line without question. Okay. Firearms industry, hear me for a second. I love you all. <laughs> can we, can we all come to conclusion of a standardized footprint for Oh, the sites. My God. Same yeah. Thing that would make optics. our lives. <laughs> like, we please? can then do that very easily, right? I mean, a lot of companies are doing that. Either they're right. going Glock pattern or SIG th- number three or yeah. something well, like that. It's, it's, yeah, six yeah. and nine, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, the Glock is, uh, I prefer, um, and I'll just speak personally, um, but I do that because pushing sites on the front. Uh, is a little bit more dubious. Um, so if you're doing this stuff at home and you're you're handy with guns and you've been working on guns for a little while, um, pushing pushing those front sight dovetails because there's a lot less material with that. And so when you're talking about like M and P six, all of those front sights that are dovetail front sights, they don't have the beef of the real site. So you really do need to mate the side of that dovetail element up correctly with a pusher. Um, also, if you're going the route of tapping that on, there's just so much less surface area. So I prefer the screw in front sights for that reason. Just like why make our lives that much more difficult? It's a proven solid front sight method. So let's rock and roll with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent with you, man. Uh, just like anything else. Can we pick one wire? You know, <laughs> I mean, how many optics footprints, one USB, you know, one optics footprint. Like these are my <laughs> wishes. That's my Christmas list. And, and one, one style of mounting for sites without question. Well, you brought up taking it to a competent gunsmith and I'm going to pick on myself. M and P sites. You think they'll just slide right in. <laughs> no. They well, don't. then they'll slide right out. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a little bit of mm-hmm. fine, you know, it's and there's things such thing as tolerance stackings sure. and tolerances yep. and fouls. Yeah. Yep, it's a couple of fouls. Yep. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. Yeah. So <sighs> you know, we we added a set screw into our sites to try and take the labor out of uh, getting sites fitted on before you start really, you know, either using the topping method or using the pusher. Um, And that's because, you know, people were just uh, like, oh man, I feel like I'm taking up so much material off and it's taking forever. And, but the reality is like, these have to stay on a slide that's cycling like seven G's, you know what I mean? We're talking about this massive amount of physical force that's going back and forth. And, you know, as you mentioned before, mission critical, these guys got to stay put, right? And if you take too much material off, 
yeah, it's satisfying to be able to push them in, but they're going to come right out or they're not going to hold the zero that you um, that you want or the orientation that you want in the dovetail. So um, it is a little bit laborious. So we, we did take a little bit material. We took in general a little bit material down uh, and then added the set screw so that it was taking a little less material off. Um, but dovetail tolerances change. So like even within an individual firearm, if some of the uh, finish is a little bit thicker that day, if it's that type of finish where it goes on top of the metal, um, you know, if, if somebody decides to make a tooling change and it's, they're like, ah, it's not a big deal, but then they don't communicate that to anybody besides their internal teams, then we're, you know, kind of left holding the bag on sites that don't fit. And we sort of have to go back to manufacturers and say, Hey guys, did anything change? And everybody's like, no, no, it's fine. And the tooling guys in the back, like, Hey, I changed that. And you're like, no. <laughs> you know? So there's elements of like, this is a big, long chain uh, of, of people that are involved in, in making these incredible things. So um, there's stuff like that that mm. happens for sure. But yeah, taking material off is, is a real thing on these dovetails, <laughs> man. You know, buckle up, saddle up, get those stones out and get ready. <laughs> yeah. So I want to kind of go to this point of, you know, having that community, being able to go mm-hmm. and have someone, if you're not familiar with, with putting mm-hmm. sights on having that armor sure. or having that person in your community and, you know, GOA is sued on the zero tolerance policy mm-hmm. because gun stores closing for a clerical mm-hmm. error yeah. is catastrophic to our industry. Yeah. Far beyond the point of selling a firearm. Mm-hmm. It is that community aspect. Mm-hmm. It is that maintenance aspect. Yes. And in many cases, it can also affect the training mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. Puts and it in so jeopardy without when, question. Yeah. When you have that much riding on a community, you know, during COVID, how many times did we hear frontline workers? You know, they're they're vital, they're essential. If we are to define what a frontline worker is in the Second Amendment community, it's the people at the gun stores because they provide that base level of education, that base level of maintenance, that base level of understanding the components, recommending trainings. And when we're wanting to grow this community and when we see millions of new gun owners that are completely destroying any stereotype that the anti-gun left wants to create or um, continue to capitalize on, if they attack this element of the industry, it is an attack of all parts of the industry. Yeah. No, and and it's like, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, people feel, uh, who who are on the other side of the aisle of this, you know, they feel, oh, you know, so gratifying. We don't have this dangerous gun store in the neighborhood anymore. Okay, well, but we still have people with firearms out in the ether. And if they don't have access to education, um, that is going to potentially uh, set them up for absolute failure, like access to any number of the things that you listed before. Um, them not having the ability to go back and ask questions, to go back and get gear, go, go back and get maintenance elements. Um I, you know, sometimes I think it's like people are just trying to push this self-fulfilling prophecy, like guns are dangerous. And it's like, no, no, you cut them off from everything. Mm -hmm. You stop them from being able to ask questions. You stop them from being able to maintain either their skill set or their firearm. And then you wonder why there was a problem. And, And this has to do with a lot of people who 
don't care to know more about this, willfully yeah. ignorant. And they say, oh, well, no, you don't have to know anything. You just have the gun and you think that's the solution. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. You but are absolutely correct on that. And furthermore, it's not like the criminals are the ones hanging out at the gun stores. No. It's not like they're the ones going to get maintenance there. It's no. not like they're the ones that are building a community there. No. Yeah. The the black market, the criminals that are ignoring all of the gun laws, they're not paying the consequences for the actions. It is the everyday law-abiding gun mm -hmm. owner that yeah. is. Yeah, and so the community loses out. The, the, the people who are trying to um, maintain their right, right? Their right to self-defense. I should be able to respond in kind to someone who has broken their way into my home, realizes that I'm there, and still decides to come towards me. Okay, this person is not just there for TV. They're not trying to fence something to get a cheap high. They see me, and they decide to continue towards me. I, I, I am, I am not comfortable with people who are there to take that person's ability to defend themselves away because of their bias. And the shop is a resource for them to be able to maintain everything, including only addressing the threat and no one else that doesn't uh, deserve to have anything else sent their way from that firearm. We're responsible for everything that comes out of that muzzle. And gun owners know that. But the cartoon or the caricature of this as being these, you know, uh, people who are wandering around looking for trouble, that we're just trying to exact this vigilante justice at every opportunity, or the Hollywood standard that the gun shop is this seedy location with you know, bad lighting and, you know, mystery people in corners doing things that you can't quite <laughs> decipher. It's just absolutely uh, a caricature. It's just not real life. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm constantly faced with this um, where I live and this idea that, you know, people all look the same. They all have the same socioeconomic background. They have the same reasons why they're coming to guns. And then I, I get into, you know, 18, 25 person beginner first attempt at getting involved in firearms classes. And I see a variety of people. I mean, we're here at a show for the industry and I see a sea of different human beings that walk into my booth, walk around my booth. Unfortunately, some of them walk past my booth. <laughs> so they just don't know how awesome we are. But it is infuriating. The background, like my background does not come from law enforcement and military. I went to art school. Uh, I am a female with weird hair who went to art school who loves this stuff. I don't look like the caricature. Uh, I don't teach people who all look the same. Um, it is some, it is a kind of, I would say a major point of, of passion of mine. You can sort of see me like a sit up <laughs> and start like attacking the mic a little bit with this, but it is such a point of frustration because uh, I continue to see people who don't educate themselves on this instead of just, um, you know, reaching out to someone and asking questions and visiting the range. They, they remain at home in their kind of comfortable, safe space, and they say to themselves, well, this is absolutely what it must be. I watched this movie or I saw this television show, and it, it, it you know, vindicates their bias, but it's not a real look at what 
actual human beings look like in this space. And those are people who are responsible, who are doing their due diligence, who are developing those relationships so they can be safer with their firearms. But cutting things off doesn't benefit anyone, including people who don't like this. It doesn't, it doesn't benefit them either. Um, when I say to people who come through, I say, listen, I don't, you don't need to be John or Jane Wick. If this is not uh, something that you absolutely love, if you're here, you know, in a permit class, for example, uh, because you're, 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 you're potentially inheriting firearms and, and the easiest way to deal with this is just get the permit and then sell them. Um, which is not uncommon in our state because we have to have a permit to possess where I live. Uh, and they say, well, I'm, I don't really going to, I'm not going to get involved in guns. This is just because I want to retain property, um, which is because, you know, the state is going to take it, which is out is a whole other conversation, <laughs> which we won't spiral into. But, um, you know, I make contact with people who are getting a permit and going through this process who don't expect to get involved in guns. And I tell them, listen, it's fine. You don't have to be involved in this. But when you get on the other side of this class, I would like for you to still walk up to me and tell me why we should be taking these resources away from people. And not a single person does because they realize it is truly about all of our safety, all of our knowledge, all of our ability to be effective with these tools. So this is just because of my own curiosity. So you're a firearms instructor. Yes. You live in New York. Yes. I have to ask. (laughs) How has life been post-Buren? Yeah. And so. all of the lawsuits that have fallen, <laughs> followed. All right, guys. So we're going to get into hour three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, when you're dealing with states who are in a constant struggle for their rights, retaining them, gaining them back, um, it, it is... Uh, it is always at the forefront. You know, we're never like looking across, you know, the, the, the state line and saying, oh, wow, it must be tough over there. You know, we're in it. We're at the front line of all of it. Um, you know, uh, organizations, especially like yourself, right, especially like all of the good stuff that you guys do at GOA are, are far more front of brain uh, for those of us who are in these states. Um, because we know what it's like. We've, we, we, we've had that pressure. We've had things taken from us. And so we know how important and vital your presence is. An organization that actually accomplishes things, that is putting in the work, not, um, you know, not just going through the lip service of doing it, but actually performing the task. Um, it's vital. So, when it when it involves big you know changes like that, which guys read the decision. Uh, if you have some time, it's long, but it is worth your time. Read through the entire decision. Um, it's a valuable decision to read. But for us, we dealt with the uh, uh, as as one of um, one of the gentlemen who does our our use our excuse me our Article Thirty Five lecture. He is a defense lawyer. Uh, so why not bring a defense lawyer in for that lecture? But um, he he calls it, you know, hair on fire. New York had their hair on fire after after that decision. Uh, and it was um, uh, commonly represented as uh, it was going to be the Wild West. Right. So everybody's going to be running around shooting guns in the air, you know. And, and so we're all just sitting back like, my God, does does this you know, is this a real example of what everybody genuinely feels like is going to be happening? 
Um, because a lot of it is happening, but it's not from people who legally own guns. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of why we've, we are talking about gaining that stuff back. It's like, guys, there are a lot of people running around shooting guns at people. And they are not the people who have gone through every single hoop in that state to obtain their uh, their permits. Uh, just as I said, just to possess. Right. So the reality is the reaction was strong from the state government. Uh, pretty substantial. Um, the requirements now are, are very different, but there is a path to be able to get your permit. Um, the flip side of the coin is the restrictions that were assigned to where you can carry are substantial. And that was the response back, right? And so um, the fight right now uh, is to gain a number of those locations back. Um, recently, there have been some changes where um, there was initially a requirement for a place of business to post a sign that they will accept guns, which, you know, is like, what, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to have the sign in the door or the window that says, we do allow guns on premise. And that was the only way that you would then be allowed to carry versus what is the rest of the country where a private business can make the decision. Um, hey, we don't want guns, you know, here. And, you know, I continue to walk because I'm not going to spend my money there. <laughs> but the reality is um, they won that back in court because you can't you can't compel speech from businesses. Uh, so there's this back and forth. And so people are like, great, we're fighting these things and we're going back and forth in court and we're gaining some things back. But what we're doing while we do that in New York is we're spending tax dollars in an already heavy tax state. Like it's, you know, a situation where I'm saying we're wasting money here on something that is not actually the Wild West. The only thing that that decision genuinely affected in our permitting process is the reason with which you would write down why you were looking for the permit. That's it. Everything else is still retained under states' rights. So as difficult or as easy, however you want to look at it, um, you know, depending on where you live, because California and Massachusetts have things different going on from us. So I can say as easy or difficult when we're talking about New York <laughs> permits. I know some of you guys in other states are like, what? It's just always going to be difficult. Um, the reality is, uh, you know, it only affected that. Um, so despite what was represented as, you know, being this Wild West scenario, it was just a gross exaggeration. I know it's a surprise coming from a politician. I know everybody here is just like, wow, <laughs> how did that ever happen? Um, but the reality is it was a gross misrepresentation of what was really directly affected. And it was just why you were looking for the permit. So in the past where someone might write all lawful purpose, now they could write for self-defense. Um, where in the past the state would argue, well, what, what's going on in your life? And then it would try and say, to, you know, oh, are you, I'm, in a I'm in a bad neighborhood. And the state would say, move. And I was like, cool, are you subsidizing that? Like how, this is where I live. You know, I, I need a way to defend myself. Why do I need to uproot my family? You know, this is where I have the ability to pay for this apartment. This is what I have. You know, how, how does the state be able to say, oh, just move. It's not that simple. Do we get to just say to our stalkers or a domestic dispute, like, oh, don't be mean to me anymore. It doesn't work like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's a little bit of, of the background. So our, our 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 process changed. We went from um, uh, uh, not a class requirement to having 18 hours. So 16 hours of classroom and two hours on the range, um, which uh, 
you know, it's a, it a pretty substantial amount of time and money for people to invest in at the beginning. So by nature, that does cut out a lot of people who had access to this before. Because if you don't have the ability to afford a class that's two days that has a classroom and uh, a range environment and leaving your job for two days, if you work on the weekends, guess what? You're going to have a hard time getting that permit. So it's it's a little it's it's a sneaky thing, right? Um, yeah. New York has been just a tremendously hard mm -hmm. landscape mm -hmm. because the the city centers mm -hmm. are so anti-gun. 60% of our population. Yeah, but you go out into the rural area. I think everyone thinks that everyone in New yeah. York is, is yeah. anti-gun. Um and that is not, not the case. case. No. Um as soon as you leave that that city center, yeah. it becomes a, um almost like a different country. Yeah. The values change, mm -hmm. the culture changes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, yeah. Oh yeah. If you look at those governor races and, and you look up um, the, you know, the color map, right. Um, the entire state is a, a red state with the exception of um, the about, like seven square miles. <laughs> that we, the, the, it's about, I should say it's like seven, I want to say seven or 8% of our, our, our entire state landmass. So the other 93 is not yeah. in the same boat. And so, um, with so much money going to the city, it's, it's leaving the rest of the state anemic. And that's a point of frustration for everybody. It's like, you know, people who are in, uh, and bordering Canada are like, why am I paying for the MTA? Um, <laughs> nowhere close to it. And, you know, public transportation is vital. No one argues that, but you know, why, why does the rest of the state have to suffer? And it's just so much beautiful landscape in New York. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous state. The parks are incredible and it is wild and there it's very rural and we have a lot of incredible farming, dairy farming, apple farming. There's just so much there. And there's a huge hunting community Absolutely. in New York. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a, a city center that is very, very much dominating the rest of the state, which is very, very much not the same as the city. Um, so it is it is a, a constant source. So if if you guys are familiar with the upstate down, say, oh, are you from upstate? You know, I mean, that's the beginnings of our ire compared to the city. And this is coming from somebody who spent like almost 15 years working in Manhattan. So I've seen both sides of the coin. Um, I am not someone who's going to be like, oh, you know, yeah. I'm not talking to you city guys. That's not the truth. But I do live outside of the city. It is gorgeous. And I just, you know, it is very frustrating to be subject of that. So you worked in Manhattan. Yes. I know where you worked in Manhattan. Yeah, I worked another. on Park Avenue. Yeah. 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 Park Avenue and 28th. Yeah. And I would walk down from Grand Central because the the uh, the subway was too packed, you know, during uh, rush hour, unless you were, unless it was raining. And then even then I'd rather walk in the rain because you were packed in like sardines and you do develop a really good sense of like um, you know, in close fighting and like how to move your body around and deal with how you position yourself if you're taking advantage <laughs> of while you're down there. And, you know, I come from a, uh, uh, you know, again, another, about like 15 years of martial arts. So, I mean, I was like, I'm, we're going to make this work a hundred percent of the time. It was just always a game to make sure that I was kind of keeping myself on, um, on my toes. Um, and the city just does make you think and act in a certain way. Uh, you know, if you want to 
be able to get through it. I am a small female. So <laughs> if I am, not, if I was like six, two and like a big dude, I would probably have a different perspective. And it's not like people don't come after guys. I'm not trying to say that, but you know, you do have to kind of pay attention to yourself in the city. It doesn't grant you, um, the, the, you're not granted the, uh, the, the kind of tourist element of just staring up into the sky <laughs> at all times for sure. Well, this is fantastic. Rachel, thank you. Well, I appreciate it being here. I mean, listen, thank you so much for having me on the podcast and and thank you so much for allowing me to participate in everything you guys are doing. I mean, I I will speak for the company um, and and say that we are just so excited about what you guys do in this space. Um, You know, we believe heavily in making sure that people are equipped with things that they need to be able to survive and see another day and go back to their family. Um, and you guys are doing phenomenal work for us to retain a right that makes us a very, very, very different, very different country, um, in this globe. We looked at, we're looked at very differently than the rest of the world. Um, and primarily it's just because they're like, man, we wish we had that ability, um, to do that. They're, you know, there's a very big difference maker, I believe. So Rachel, thank you for being a partner. It really is appreciated. You guys did a members benefit with email with us a few months ago. We did. It was great. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, we're excited to do more. <laughs> yeah. So guys, make sure you keep an eye on those member benefits email because companies like Night Vision are offering fantastic deals and a portion of all the sales go back to GOA to help support the fight. So before we leave, mm-hmm. Plug away. Okay. All right. So I will plug away for you guys. So if anybody's looking for the absolute best sites, like hands down, um, nobody uh, that um, that has our sites says, you know, how do I put this? When people are talking to us at shows and they're saying, well, I don't know. I'm looking at your sites. They look cool. I hear what you're saying. And then we have someone all by themselves organically walk up and say, Hey, I have those sites on everything I own. You're going to love them. Those are the people that I'm just like, Hey, you're, you're doing my job for me. (laughs) So, you know, if you're out and about and you're hearing somebody talk about us and you want to go purchase our sites for your firearms, or you want to just try and peruse and see whether or not we have them. And, uh, uh, you don't see your manufacturer and you want to contact us. The best way to do that is all through the website. So you can find us at nightvision.com and that is N I G H T F I S I O N.com. So we dropped one of those S's and fission. So I want to be very clear about that, but you can find us on the web at nightvision.com. Um, and we have some really cool stuff up there, uh, both for you guys who are educated and for our new shooters. So, um, if you're new to this, hit the co-witness selector. That'll help you buy the the right sites for your gun. Um, and then if you want to get into some of our EDC stuff, we talked about Glow Rhino before. That's just glowrhino.com. And we didn't spell that in a weird way. So <laughs> if you can spell those two words, you're going, you're going to be fine. You'll land on the website, I promise. Um, and if you do decide to get involved in um, land navigation, right, and you want to use a compass, and that's something you want to get curious about. We find more and more people, days, they want to they learn that. And they want to understand what's it like to be without a GPS mesh network. I want to understand Azimuth, all of the good stuff associated with it. You can visit us at Kamenga.com and that's C-A-M-M-E-N-G-A.com. Awesome. And socials? Socials? Yeah, absolutely. We're on Meta. Um, You're going to have to spell out the entire account because, you know, 
we make these things that go boom and Meta's not the happiest about that. So it is <laughs> it is night underscore fishing on um, on Instagram. And we are on Facebook and you can just search us. Uh, and then same for Glow Rhino. Glow Rhino comes up a little bit sooner because uh, there are a lot less guns on that account. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kamenga also has socials and pretty much across the board, universally, all three companies have presence on Instagram and Facebook. And we're trying to grow our YouTube side of things, but we're also just growing the company. So as soon as we get some more people in, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll start growing those educational videos as well. So. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you guys for watching. If you're listening to this on a podcasting platform and would like to leave a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it. And uh, we will see you on next week's episode. Have a great day. <laughs>